been a couple months since I recorded my last episode and a lot has happened. To start off, I officially became a permanent resident of Rwanda with a two-year visa. This process was the longest but shortest thing, and during it I would joke that I was an illegal immigrant. I submitted my application for the visa within my first month, but then didn't get a response for a little while. Finally, after a month or so, I was told that I needed to submit some documents, so I scrambled to get those together and have them notarized. Once I gave them to the immigration officer, he told me to come pick them up and, and bring my passport. My visa was approved within a couple days. A process that took about three months to the day of arriving was solved in just two quick days. But I'm relieved to have the visa as I don't have to worry about it anymore. And also, more importantly, it makes all the tourist attractions 50% cheaper for me. In my first few months here, I've been often making the trip to Kigali on weekends. I almost always stay at this one hostel called Mamba, which is also a bar and club with a bowling alley and a swimming pool. It's quite the spot. Since it's a cheap hostel, many travelers come and go. It has forced me to appreciate people's presence, even if I won't develop a deep relationship with them. The first couple of times I stayed at Mamba, I was a bit timid and kept to myself. But now I put myself out there and strike up a conversation with anyone. Though the hostel is almost all travelers, the bar and club has regulars. And now I've become a regular at Mamba with all the staff knowing me. One weekend at Mamba, I met a group of Danish university students who were doing some work in Rwanda. I ended up hitting it off with them and two of them specifically, Peter and Pina. The next weekend, I came back and took them to the Basketball Africa League quarterfinal game which featured the Rwandan team. For everyone in the group of Danish students, it was their first basketball game they had seen live, and it was a good one. The atmosphere was buzzing. After the game, we went to a Nigerian restaurant. I ordered a peanut chicken curry dish called mafe, which was so tasty. The next night was the Danish students' last night, and they took me to a pizza restaurant called Lavana. It is now one of my favorite restaurants in Kigali, as I've been back a couple of times since. Saying bye to Peter and Pina was sad because I felt that I would have become really good friends with them if we spent more time together. But they're coming back in October for more work, so I look forward to seeing them again. Going to the Basketball Africa League game with the Danish students was spontaneous. However, for weeks in advance, I planned on going to the final. Within my first month of being here, I was getting targeted ads about tickets for the Basketball Africa League and I knew that I wanted to go. When I went to buy tickets, I looked into how much courtside tickets were and saw that they were only $32 USD, and I would have access to a VIP room as well. When those tickets went on sale, I immediately snatched them up, buying some for my colleagues as well. Basketball courtside and a chance to meet Masai Ujiri? Yes, please. Though Masai wasn't there, it was still a fantastic experience. However, I was a little disappointed in the courtside tickets. I was in the fourth row and stuck behind some African basketball VIPs who were, of course, all around seven feet tall. But paying $32, the VIP room with food was worth that cost itself. In the VIP room, I ended up meeting Olympic champion and fellow gooner, Sir Mo Farah, and also African football legend, El Haji Diouf. I did see NBA player Joakim Noah and NBA Deputy Commissioner 
Mark Tatum, but didn't have a chance to talk to them. The team from Tunisia ended up winning, but to me, the most exciting part of the game was the opening ceremony with the traditional dancers. Back in the village a few weeks later, one moto driver let me try driving his motorcycle. Driving the motorcycle was much harder than I expected. I thought it was just turn the throttle and go, but there was more to it. It didn't help that I had the whole village staring and crowding around me, along with giving me orders on what to do in a language I can't understand. I'm not going to lie, I was flustered. Luckily, Demore, the kid I spend the most time with who speaks English, was there to translate, so he helped me a lot. The few times I did get it going, I had a grin right across my face and would laugh when Demore would yell out, Slow, slow, slow. The whole experience was great entertainment for the village and was quite thrilling for me, especially when I got it started. In late June, things were quite hectic for me with work. A group of 30 people from the U.S. came to check out our programs. Right before they arrived, my boss, our country director, tested positive for COVID, which meant that I had to pick up the majority of her responsibilities. I felt so bad for her because she was the one that put in the most effort on the trip and she missed pretty much all of it. These people from the U.S. saw all of our programs, but during their time here, we had a big Olympic Day celebration as Kids Play International was founded by Tracy Evans, a former Olympian. The event had over 400 people attend. It was an early start for me at 7 a.m. with nonstop running around until the late afternoon. At the event, we handed out shirts, which caused me so many problems. Throughout the day, I had people coming up to me asking about these shirts when I had much bigger issues to be dealing with. At the end of the event, I was swarmed by people asking for these shirts and for food. I felt overwhelmed. It was also when I realized that where I am, everyone has an ask. And sometimes it's better to give nothing if there's not enough for everyone. A highlight of the day was getting some photos with the Rwandan music artist Rafiki. At the end of the American's visit, we had a farewell dinner at Eagle View Lodge, which had a beautiful view of all of Kigali. During the dinner, the Americans shared their profound impact of the trip on them. Out of all the Americans, I connected with a few of them. With some of them, we would take jabs back and forth on Canada versus the U.S. It was great spending time with Jordan and Jada Crockett, two sisters from Park City that loved my cringy gritty. Jordan Barrett, an Olympic skateboarder that was super easygoing. Brad Gravelin, a lawyer from Chicago that I had deep conversations about masculinity, fatherhood, and alcohol. And finally, Chris Hale, a former NFL player that had many interesting stories for his playing days. Getting to know them was a pleasure. Though I've met many fascinating people over the last few months, I had a very important visitor arrive towards the end of June. My mother known here as Mama Coos. She helped me so much on the Olympic day, checking in on me and making sure I was drinking enough water. Typical mom things. It was fun showing her around the area I live in. I took her to the King's Palace Museum in Nianza and made pottery with her in the village. I also took her to a restaurant in Nianza that Sophia and I go to. She tried Aka Ben's, a Rwandan meal, which is fried pork. Since mom still had some work to do in between her trips from Kenya and Cameroon. During the week, she went to Kigali, where I met up with her after a couple of days. We decided to play some golf together one afternoon. 
Luckily, the owner of the hotel Mum stayed at was also heading to the course, so he was able to give us a ride. We ended up playing the round with him, and he also helped me set up my membership at the golf club. Both Mum and I played well, with both of us ending off the round with some pars. I hadn't played in about a year, and I was de decent, so I look forward to seeing the improvement I make as I play more. For Mum's last weekend in Rwanda, I decided to do a quick road trip to Akagera with her to do a game drive in the safari park. We stayed a night at the Akagera Rhino Lodge, then early the next morning entered the park. Safaris never get old because each experience is always different. The highlight of the day was seeing a baby white rhino. It was probably only a month or two old and was playful around its tired mother. Seeing it is up there with chimpanzee trekking and leopard as one of the coolest things I've seen in Rwanda. As we left the park, we saw some massive warthogs, which are one of my favorite animals, mostly because of the character Pumbaa in Lion King. I'm sure that movie raised the popularity greatly for warthogs. Leaving the park has always been a lucky time for me, and I've seen some amazing stuff during that time. I'm not good with goodbyes because they don't have much meaning to me, being someone who was a kid with parents that were always leaving for work trips. But I was very sad to see my mom leave. It was so nice to have family around being so far away. Moving out to Rwanda has also changed my relationship with my parents. I have so much more respect for their decision to move to Africa when they were young and now have a greater understanding of the experiences they went through as I'm going through some of the same now. During my mom's visit, I was able to have conversations with her on things we never talked about before and I really appreciated that. Lots of love to my mom and dad, incredible courageous people. A couple days after mom left, I played in the Liberation Day football tournament between villages. I played in the final, which had over 500 people watching. Being the only white dude, all eyes were on me. Early in the match, I noticed someone get some cheers for a slide tackle, so I knew it would get them going if I put one in too. Next chance I had, I put in a slide tackle. The crowd went wild. On the tackle, I ripped up my knee, grazing it on the ground, but it was totally worth that cheer. My team ended up winning on penalties and I scored mine for the record. There was a cash prize, so my team was ecstatic to win the tournament. Now for this final story of the episode, I have to apologize to my parents because they warned me about motorcycles and my decision last night was very, very stupid. Not to be dramatic, but I'm lucky that I'm able to record this right now. Yesterday, I needed a PCR COVID test to be able to go golden monkey trekking on the weekend. Since Nianza doesn't have PCR tests, I needed to go to Huye, a city about an hour and 15 minutes away. I had to get the test done before 8 p.m. or early in the morning the next day. If I took the bus, I probably wouldn't have made it before 8 p.m. and I would have had to book a hotel in Huye for the night. So to save time and money, I decided to take a moto there. Earlier in the week, I saw Sophia listening to music on the moto, so I decided I would do the same for this trip. As the sun was setting, I was listening to Wait by M83, and it was glorious. But once the sun set and it became dark, I realized the horrible decision that I made. I made it to Huye and got my PCR test with no problem. 
It was on the way back when I got in trouble. While I was on the moto, we got into an accident. Luckily, there were no injuries for myself or the driver, probably because both of us didn't freak out and remained calm. We were zooming down the highway. I had Interstellar's Cornfield Chase song on, feeling like I was flying into space. I thought about telling the moto driver to slow down, but I stayed quiet, which was a mistake. Always trust your intuition. About 30 minutes into the trip, we had our accident. We hit a massive pothole on the side of the road. Immediately, the moto started skidding from side to side like a skier in a slalom race. I don't know how we both stayed on. It happened so fast that I didn't have time to react. Once we came to a stop, we got off and checked the moto. The tire was partly off and the wheel had a deep dent. I couldn't get angry at the moto because he was the only person there that could help me. At this point, I thought about walking the rest of the trip along the dark highway, but it was a six hour journey, which was way too long, even for Matt Carlson's standards, who had some legendary late night treks in high school. Thankfully, my moto spoke a bit of English, so he was giving me updates on when help would arrive. After an hour of waiting, two men finally showed up to repair the wheel and put on a new tire. When it was fixed, we hopped back on and headed home. I was skeptical of the repair and the driver for the remaining 40 minutes. That 40 minutes was probably some of the most fear I have felt. But this time, I learned my lesson and told my moto to slow down a couple of times. When my moto dropped me off, he asked me if he would drive me to Musanze this weekend which is three and a half hours away. All I could think was, are you crazy, man? You really think I would trust you on a longer trip after what just happened? I got back home at around midnight and felt extremely grateful to be in one piece and sleeping in my own bed instead of the hospital. With this situation, all I can think about is how lucky I am, but also how stupid I am. I should have never thought that riding a moto for over an hour in the dark was a good idea just to save time and money. There's no time to save if you have none of it. But as the saying goes, you live and you learn. Much love, Coos.